Hello, and welcome again to another conservative historian podcast. This one entitled Bruce Springsteen, Joe Biden, and Conservatism. As always, we appreciate you listening, and hopefully that uh, if you like this podcast, you can check out more of them at www.conservativehistorian.com, and also on Amazon for sale, Conservative Historian Collected Works. And now, on to our podcast. As we near the endgame on the 2020 presidential election, or if you're listening to this podcast after November 4th, already taking place... I reflect that this election, unlike in 2016 or 1996, seems to contain far more significant ramifications than in many previous ones. I'm not saying this election is as dynamic or important to our history as that of, let's say, 1860 or 1932 or 1964. Rather, The Bill Clinton of, let's say, 1996 was the embodiment of Democratic centrist reaction to the liberalism that reigned in Democratic elections, such as 1972 and 1988. At one point, Clinton even stated that the, quote, era of big government was over, unquote. Those words have haunted my fever dreams for 20 years. Yet even some of the more liberal candidates, such as Walter Mondale or Michael Dukakis, were not of the same ideology as Barack Obama. And when Joe Biden is running using the Biden-Sanders Unity Task Force, it is even more to the left of even Obama. Just 10 years ago, Bernie Sanders was that crazy uncle at the Thanksgiving feast. You know the one. The one whom the host would tell the arrival time was 4.30 instead of 3 o'clock. Now Bernie sits at the head of the table, and everyone is silent when he speaks. And in this, the closing day of the campaigns, Bruce Springsteen, the boss, is out campaigning for Joe Biden. Now there is a certain logic to this, at least on the surface. The Democrats, traditionally since 1932, have been the party of the working man. Everything from the support of minimum wage to unions has been a plank of the Democratic Party since the New Deal. And since the so-called boss sings about these folks, it kind of makes sense. Springsteen's earlier songs rarely contain any lines about dancing in clubs or honky-tonks, nor do they extol the virtues of water skiing on some southern river. Instead, they were something far more personal than self-entertainment. There are many forms and views of conservatism, which is indicative of the richness of this ideology. But for me, the most critical aspect is the concept of an individual to decide one's fate. The alternative to this way of thinking is determinism. In determinism, a person's worth is determined not by their intelligence, judgment, and common sense, but rather by the circumstances upon which they were born. Were they born into a poor house? Were they born female? And the almost endemic statement about being born as an African-American as a damning circumstance within the United States. Despite a succession of successes ranging from athletics to the boardroom to science all the way to the White House, the narrative is is that if you are born as an African-American in this nation, your situation is dire. At least that's the narrative on the left. 
This belief system's logical endgame is Marxism, which abrogates any individual impact in favor of a world belief that we are on the way to a post-capitalist nirvana. This Eden has never been achieved, not even close. It does not seem to affect the fever dreams of sociology professors throughout the nation. Even quasi-socialism has plunged once prosperous countries ranging from Valenzuela to Zimbabwe do not seem to deter politicians like Bernie Sanders. Now, we assume that Springsteen's favoritism of Joe Biden lies in both the belief that Biden is some moderate Democrat who will help the little guy and perhaps a rejection of the bombastic nature of Donald Trump. But there is little in Biden's actual policy prescriptions from the Green New Deal to an embrace of the concept of systemic racism that aligns with this vision that will truly help the little guy. And it is challenging to accost Trump with divisiveness in the historical statements made against any Republican president from George W. Bush to Mitt Romney. Yet Bruce's work itself, Bruce's work itself rejects the leftist vision that collectivization, identity politics, or divisiveness is the best way to proceed. Now I'm hoping that you will allow me a little digression into biography. I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin that lay on the banks of the Fox River. This river ran from Green Bay down to Lake Winnebago, and the general area was known as the, quote, Paper Valley, unquote. It does not take a business expert to realize what it would mean to the local economy in the waning years of the 20th century to live in a world in which an economy was partly based on paper production. When Bruce sang about closing factories and trying to get out of a losing situation, it all felt resonant. Now, I was securely middle class, so the economics of the situation playing out in East Central Wisconsin did not directly affect my ability to get three squares a day. But it was the concept of wanting to get out and find something better. And in so many of Bruce's earlier and most popular songs from that era, there was the concept of choice a sense of conservatism that I'm not certain even Springsteen himself is aware. On his second album, The Wild, The Innocent, and The E Street Shovel, there is a beloved ballad to Rosalita. This song is a reasonably straightforward ode to a girl, but note the attitude of which he is going to be with Rosalita despite challenging circumstances. Quote, And I know your daddy, he don't dig me, but he never did understand. Your papa lowered the boom. He locked you in your room. I'm coming to lend a hand. I'm coming to liberate you, confiscate you. I want to be your man. Unquote. Springsteen supports this boast with a singular, individual accomplishment. Quote, Well, tell him this is his last chance to get his daughter in a fine romance because a record company, Rosie, just gave me a big advance, unquote. I'm not certain Springsteen would see this today, but this is a declarative capitalistic triumph. He will not let his impoverished circumstances stand in the way because he knows of his talent, and what is more, so do the capitalists. One could argue that Darkness on the Edge of Town's Badlands was not a song about bettering oneself. Quote, poor man wants to be rich, Rich man wants to be king, and the king ain't satisfied till he owns everything, unquote. 
But this nation was founded not just against a specific king, George III, but against the concept of government-imposed tyranny of any sort. Bruce is correct. Kings are not satisfied. But I would argue neither are senators, representatives, governors, nor presidents. And add to that, tech titans. It is not enough for Jack Dorsey to achieve fabulous wealth and acclaim for starting Twitter. He now is compelled to suppress certain information that is counter to his ideology. Ain't satisfied indeed. Another song from Darkness on the Edge of Town, Promised Land, is much more in the progressive vein of powerlessness. Quote, I've done my best to live the right way. I get up every morning and go to work each day. But your eyes go blind and your blood runs cold. Sometimes I feel so weak, I just want to explode. Explode and tear this old town apart. Take a knife and cut this pain from my heart. Find somebody itching for something to start. Unquote. This kind of uh, power ballad could be even used as an anthem for some of the protests that we've seen in the summer of 2020. And the song is one of the critical moments in a recent movie called Blinded by the Light about a 1980s Englishman born to Pakistani parents who struggled with racism and poverty. Though a world away, this young man wholly identified with Springsteen's lyrics as much as a person born in Wisconsin or New Jersey for that matter. But the protagonist of that movie made choices that would lead to the improvement of his life. And so it is with the figure in Promised Land. Quote, Well, there's a dark cloud rising from the desert floor. I packed my bags, and I'm heading straight into the storm. Gonna be a twister to blow everything down that ain't got the faith to stand its ground. Blow away the dreams that tear you apart. Blow away the dreams that break your heart. And blow away the lives that leave you nothing but lost and brokenhearted. This figure is not waiting on the government or the likes of a 78-year-old doddering man to save him, nor, for that matter, a cynical 55-year-old of mixed Indian and African descent. Why? There is an inherent parent-child relationship when the government is in control. The term dependency is not just a rightist scare tactic, but something seen by any sociologist engaged in the truth. It is why the founders demanded a government for the people, but also of and by the people. The state exists to serve the people, not the people to receive blessings from the government. Or as Bruce Springsteen says, far, far better than I, quote, the dogs on Main Street howl because they understand if I could take one moment into my hands, mister, I ain't a boy. No, I'm a man. And I believe in a promised land. Unquote. And now we come to Bruce's greatest song. I would argue one of the greatest songs ever written. And the title of the song is Thunder Road. During the progression of the song, Bruce Springsteen uses a personal pronoun, either I or we, 23 times. The song was not about government, about movements or organizations. It was an individual deciding to better his life, to be better than fate had intended, to pull out and win. It is a conservative anthem. 
The song begins with the protagonist decrying his circumstances, as so many do in this day. Quote, Waste your summer praying in vain for his Savior to rise from these streets. Well, I'm no hero, that's understood. Unquote. But is it understood? The protagonist understands there are no saviors, and this is especially interesting in an era of politics in which Obama was seen as just that hero, and the left, rightly, castigates Trump supporters for placing him in that role as well. Politicians can be effective, they can be useful, but they are not heroes through politics. Maybe they held that role before, but John McCain was a hero because he served his country and sacrificed for it not because he was a senator from Arizona. The real hero in Thunder Road is, in fact, the man, quote, beneath the dirty hood, unquote. Rarely in the history of our times has there been more opportunity for self-improvement. Our ancestors had to worry about food, about disease, and not just the kind that targets over 75 aged cohorts. They had to worry about war and whether some oppressive noble would ride up and take everything they owned. Knowing this, the hero of Thunder Road, and he is a hero, declares, quote, with a chance to make it good somehow, hey, what else can we do now except roll down the window and let the wind blow back your hair? Well, the night's busting open. These two lanes will take us anywhere. Unquote. And like the figure in Rosalita, the hero has a plan, not predicated on government handouts or social justice warriors or diversity training. Quote, well, I got this guitar and I learned how to make it talk. Unquote. And this so American song ends with words that I think of to this day. Words not predicated on politicians or activists trying to instill fear, hatred, and envy into their audiences, but words of singular triumph and power. Quote, it's a town full of losers, and I'm pulling out of here to win. Unquote. That is why Thunder Road is the greatest American song ever written. Thank you very much for listening.